Hello, and welcome back, my spooky friends. This is Chappie, and you're listening to Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Hope everyone had a great Christmas and a happy new year. Um, Today we will be covering some creepy New Year's stories, and then dive right into a subject I've found fascinating, which is police ghost stories. Um, It's one thing (laughs) when it's, you know, uh, somebody you know, that you might know has a story or you're hearing it secondhand. It's a whole nother thing for a cop or a police officer to actually record or put in the official report whenever something paranormal happens. (laughs) So today we'll be looking into some of those. All right, without further ado, let's get started. All right, welcome back. Today we're going to get into some haunted stories from New Year's Eve past. All right, the first one comes from hauntedjourneys.com. Nine spooky stories of the New Year's Eve that will keep you up till dawn. (laughs) All right, it starts off. Don't let your guard down this New Year's Eve. Wishing farewell to the old year with the hope that it will be replaced by a newer, better one, has been a tradition for more than 4,000 years. However, with these celebrations, the new year might make a mayhem entrance, as these creepy and scary stories will confirm. Here, we have unearthed some of the best real ghost stories, guaranteed to make you think twice about going out for a traditional, jubilant festivity. And I mean, with COVID... (laughs) A lot of people didn't get to do that anyway. All right. Keep your eyes, ears, and sixth sense open, for you may experience an eerie encounter in a haunted place around you. For many entities, use this energy of this international powerhouse event to make a splash in the new year. You may even consider making plans for next year and spend the night in some haunted places. (laughs) All right. So the first one is the Lady in Red Phantom. On New Year's Eve of 1920, the Drake Hotel celebrated its opening night with much glamour and tinsel. It was both magnificent magnificent and and tragic. (laughs) I was about to say magic. It was magnificent because the Drake was to be one of Chicago's most beautiful and celebrated hotels. It was tragic because, according to legend, it was the night the woman in red ended her life. On this day, a man and his fiancée, who was clad in brilliant red silk gown, attended the gala held in the Drake's Gold Coast room. The man stepped away and did not return, so his fiancée went looking for him. She found him enthralled by another woman in the Palm Court Parlor. The devastated woman climbed to the roof and jumped to her death. Ooh, and there's a picture of it, but I don't know if that's photoshopped. Kind of looks photoshopped. Since then, guests of the Drake have reported seeing her apparition in the Gold Coast room, the Palm Court, and on the top 10th floor, as well as the roof. Condemned to play her final night, Her restless soul wanders, attempting to find peace 
with a final tragic chapter of her life. In addition to spontaneous phantom appearances in her red garment, workers and guests also get a creepy and uncomfortable feeling in the ballroom. All right. I'll mark that down on places I don't want to visit. All right. The Phantom Texter. One story found on Reddit told of a spooky story that occurred one New Year's Eve. A fellow started receiving text messages from an unknown number on New Year's Eve that said, I'm outside. Let me scroll, see why that's scary. The messages began to escalate. At one point, the mysterious texter claimed to be inside the house, watching him and his friends. The text continued through the night, with the texter describing the guy's car and sending creepy texts while they were driving home that indicated the texter was watching him. When the others tried to call the number that he was receiving texts from, they got a message saying it was not a working phone number. While the messages eventually stopped, the fear never really went away. He later said, I haven't dived too deep into this. One, one on hand, or on one hand, I felt that something really bad could happen if I kept probing. Nothing has been so far. Nothing has happened so far. But on the other hand, I don't have any closure. And sometimes I get paranoid about getting another message. I definitely understand that. That would suck. All right, number three, the Phantoms of the Inn. The Inn on Main Street Bed and Breakfast, located in Weaverville, North Carolina, is indeed a very spirited, is indeed very spirited on New Year's Eve. Although the innkeepers of this historic bed and breakfast will not admit it's haunted, there's no denying the tales told by guests or staff verifying the house's spectral activity. Phantoms lurk in its spaces, and mysteriously, they have been they have a special preference for making an appearance on New Year's Eve. Strangely, on New Year's Eve, guests frequently hear pictures fall off the wall multiple times, never finding physical evidence of them actually falling. Is this a residual haunting or just too much celebratory champagne? In addition, many also hear the back door open and then close. Yet again, no mortal is ever discovered entering the building. This house was built over a hundred years ago by a doctor. The innkeepers now or know at least one person who has died in the house. A bloodstain remains under the tiles in a bathroom that was once part of an operating room in a lab. The stain was never able to be removed, even with sanding, resorting it to be hidden with tile. Could any of these haunts have a relevance to the celebrations of a new year? Do not hesitate from staying at this inn. On the other hand, be fascinated for the opportunity. Innkeepers have been told all the energy here is good, claiming they've never lost a guest to the inn's 10 identified phantoms, including men, women, and children, Native Americans, and even a white dog. But then again, will they... They will never confirm their presence. <laughs> I was wondering about that. It's like I thought it said at the beginning they wouldn't. Anyway, number four, the man in the yellow raincoat. 
The haunted Agora Theater and Ballroom in Cleveland, Ohio, has its own New Year's creepy story. A holiday ghost hunt when December 31st was planned to seek the legends that haunt this historical venue. The entity they sought most was the ominous man in the yellow raincoat. During the investigation, one of the ghost hunters felt a splash of cold water on the back of her legs. Upon reaching down to find the source, she found that her tights were dry and there was no one behind her who could have spilled the liquid. Still, a strange wet sensation remained tingling, continued where she felt water minutes after the encounter. This is in fact a common experience, all attributed to the man in the yellow raincoat. The iconic apparition is not shy. He has been seen on the stage, on the catwalk, in several of the viewing balconies. Apparently he is interactive with spectators, often casting disciplinary looks when the audience is naughty. Others experience experiences that many have encountered include doors opening on their own and the appearance of what looks like blood stains in the basement. The Agora Theater and Ballroom has seen the performances of Elvis and the Beatles and is also home to some spirits. Besides the man in the yellow raincoat, many apparitions have been seen. A psychic once did an investigation and said the spirit's name was John. Creepy. All right, number five, the lady in white. Have you ever experienced a stranger suddenly turning up at a party you hosted? Apparently, this is just what occurred in this story. An unexpected guest materialized out of nowhere and joined the storyteller's New Year's Eve party. All the doors and windows were locked, and no one admitted to letting the old woman, who was dressed in all white, inside the house. Being in the festive mood, the hostess did not ask her to leave. Apparently, the lady in white reported she was lost and couldn't find the party she was actually heading to. Upon leaving the party, she dropped two scarves on the doorstep. To this day, no one knows how she got in. Many say this is a symbol of prediction that may not be good. To add to this mystery, the writer adds that her cousin saw the same woman in her dreams a few nights later. No one ever saw her again. Creepy, but maybe not paranormal. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. All right. The bellboy for the Hotel of the Dead Stars. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Besides accommodating the common traveler, the Monte Vista Hotel in Flagstaff hosts a number of otherworldly immortal guests. And staff members. The legendary hotel opened on New Year's Day in 1927, and during the 1940s and 50s was a popular spot for Hollywood guests, while more than 100 Western movies were filmed nearby. Some of the guests of the hotel included Bing Crosby, Jane Russell, Gary Cooper, Spencer Tracy, and many others. Let me try to scroll. One of the ghosts here is that of a phantom bellboy who knocks on doors and then vanishes. This annoying phantom has been experienced by dozens of guests over the years. He's often joined by the ghost of a woman who has been seen outside of the Zane Gray suite. It turns out the 
that two prostitutes have been murdered in that room. Wow. Another phantom that hangs out in the Monte Vista Hotel is that of a man who endlessly paces in the Gary Cooper room. He is often reported coughing and clearing his throat. Many guests have reported feeling unnerved by the distinct feeling that someone is watching them in the room. Ooh, I would not like that. I don't want nobody watching me. The ghosts keep coming in this incredibly haunted hotel. There's a spectral entity that was the former bank robber and is said to haunt the saloon. Ellen Roberts, a hotel desk clerk, reported in 1970, three men robbed a nearby bank and to celebrate stopped in our lounge for a drink. Even though one of the men had been shot during their escape, while having his drink, the wounded man died. And some believe he is the spirit that's haunting this area of the building. Who stops to get a drink after robbing a bank? <laughs> While enjoying a drink in the cocktail lounge of this hotel, you may sense the spirit of the bank robber who died of his gunshot wounds in the section of the building, or you may experience some strange things in room 220, as did the maintenance man who returned to the room five minutes after leaving and locking it only to find the TV on at full blast and the bed liner stripped. Because... Could these phantoms come to life during the celebration of the hotel's organization on New Year's Day, almost 100 years ago? Many feel it does. All right. This next one is Channeling Norman Bates. This one is pretty disturbing, although not related to a haunting yet. According to CNN, a Florida man who told police he was angry with his mother used an axe to decapitate her on New Year's Eve 2014. The creepiest part of this mugshot taken after the man was arrested? In the photo, he's smiling like one would for a childhood school photo. The man was apparently fed up with his mother nagging him about moving some boxes into the attic. Sheriff Bob something told CNN reporter, Oh, that's a creepy picture, for sure. <laughs> it's like, hello, Clarice. All right. Number eight, the spectral party crasher. Have you ever gotten the feeling that you're not alone, even when you are? According to the website Wattpad, one woman had an unwelcome guest on New Year's Eve. She could hear it, but not see it. The trouble began when things began disappearing. The woman and her boyfriend kept losing items they were using only to have them reappear a few minutes later. Later in the evening, a strange man's voice joined the conversation yelling, right? In response to a comment one of the guests made. Eventually, every guest heard an invisible person coughing in the bathroom, even though there was no one there. The strange activity stopped the next day, so perhaps this ghost just really likes to join the New Year's Eve festivities. No matter where you are, keep your guard up and stay alert. Remember, phantoms like to celebrate as well. Uh, I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but I get it. Number nine, last one from this article. The zombie that came rolling in. Another person claimed that the not-quite-human creature 
they and a friend encountered one New Year's Eve was real. That's when we saw it. Something that looked like a naked person, but wasn't quite human, waddled down the street towards us. It moved as though it was half squatting, and because of this, its hands dragged along the ground as they hung limp by its side. I couldn't make out its face, and my friend Max told me later he couldn't either. It was also making a throaty, gurgly noise, as if it was almost choking on something. The author and Max did the only sensible thing. They got the heck out of there. So, I mean, I don't know, because meth is quite a drug. (laughs) There's no telling what, you know, those people were on, some heroin or something. I don't know. I mean, it could have been a a cryptid, you know, one of those unexplained creatures, but... It also might just be somebody on bath salts. So there's that. (laughs) All right. A bonus story from this article. Did you know New Year's Eve originally began when the Babylonians started a tradition of welcoming each new year with a massive, massive religious festival called Akitu. Akitu celebrated the mythical victory of the Babylonian sky god, Marduk over the evil sea goddess Tiamat. <laughs> and if I'm destroying these names, I apologize. New Year's Eve activities had certainly evolved since then, and today the holiday is best known as a time to reflect over the previous year while also settling intentions for the year ahead. All right, we will take a short break and be back at it right after this. All right, welcome back. Now we're going to hop over to Bustle. All right. The Peeping Tom. One of my worst fears is seeing a strange face peering into my window. I definitely get that. I will keep all of my window shades shut at night just for that reason. This is exactly what happened to an Alabama couple on New Year's Eve 2015. Only the peeping Tom was in the buff with a sock covering his genitals and wearing a Ronald Reagan mask. <laughs> I know a lot of people are laughing about it, but honestly, I got and honestly, I got a chuckle from it later. But at the time, it was very concerning. Uh, Danielle Yancey told Alabama media news site AL.com. I don't know what he was planning on doing. Apparently, Danielle's husband caught a glimpse of the naked peeping Tom while he was taking out the trash, and a home security camera confirmed that it was not all in his head. Police never caught the nude presidential peeper and chalked the incident up to a drunken prank or a lost bet. Still, don't go peeping in people's houses. That's creepy. Clothed or unclothed. Scary noises in the woods. Let's see what this one has. If you think camping is a low-key way to ring in the new year, this story might make you reconsider. Reddit user SarcasticBitchyWolf was camping with friends when the noise of someone or something screaming began to terrify the group. If you recently marathon Stranger Things, 
then you know that hearing anything strange in the woods is pretty terrifying. This Reddit user was so scared that they abandoned their friends and left a note behind so their friends would know they hadn't been eaten by a monster, but had just gotten scared and gone home. Oh my goodness. I mean, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> um, she goes on to say, You don't know what true vulnerability is until you're on the outskirts of the woods in a tent with three lives in your hands while some paranormal creature is hunting you, teasing you. I sat there in silence until around six in the morning when I was certain it had stopped. I couldn't take it anymore. The damn thing had driven me insane. My work there was done, and I was certain it was gone. <laughs> I left a note that said it went home. I went home, and I wasn't dead. So I could reassure my friends when they woke up later. If they woke up later. <laughs> Ooh, creepy. I feel like the authors of these two pretty much just copied each other's work because most of their stories are repeated. <laughs> Like they were like, oh, cool. This one has seven creepy things. I'm going to make nine creepy things. <laughs> but that's okay, too. So a little New Year's fun for you guys. Um, I am going to switch gears and get right into some of our police ghost stories right after this. Um... So yeah, buckle up. Some of these are pretty spooky. All right. All right, let's get right started with our police ghost stories. Um, I'm getting the first few stories from this book that I'm reading that I got for Christmas um, called Real Police Ghost Stories, written by Zachary Knowles. Just so credit is due where it goes uh the first one is the reanimated woman all right this first story comes from a call out in rural illinois a police officer and his partner were working the night shift usually a quiet affair only dealing with the occasional loud drunk and speeding car the call came in saying there was a suspected break-in at a local morgue a bit in the of an odd place to break in, admittedly, but there are a good number of chemicals inside which may be of interest to drug addicts. The officers took the call and headed to the morgue to investigate. Upon arrival, they found the custodian waiting outside for them, looking a little shaken. He told the officers he was mopping the floor when he saw something move in his peripheral vision. When he looked up, he saw someone run across the hallway from one side to the other and disappear into a room. Unfortunately, he could not give a good description of the person due to the fact he had turned the lights off as he cleaned. Still, he was sure that he saw someone, and being alone and unarmed, he decided discretion was the better part of valor and called the police. The two officers figured it might have been some kids breaking in for fun, or the custodian had been seeing things, but the man was certain enough about what he saw to convince the officers to check it out. They started by verbally warning anyone inside the building to show themselves. 
but they did not receive an answer, other than their voices echoing back at them. The officers, along with the custodian, did a sweep of the building by walking the central corridor, hands on guns, and checking each of the side rooms as they came across them. Most were labs for analysis, some were storage for tools and administrative files. As they moved about, they turned on the lights to ensure they did not forego anyone hiding. One officer opened a door to a blackened room and fumbled to find the light switch. What he found was an empty waiting room for relatives of the deceased. He swept the room quickly, checking every place a person could hide. As he was doing so, his partner suddenly started shouting, Hey, stop! Turn around! The other officer turned to see his partner with his gun raised towards the end of the corridor. She went around the corner, he said, indicating the left-hand route at the end of the corridor. That was a dead end. No escape from there, the custodian explained. Knowing they had the intruder cornered, the officer advanced down the corridor, calling out to the woman to reassure her she would be safe if she came out and surrendered. The first officer went to the end of the corridor and peered around the corner to see the woman standing at the end. The lights were still off in that part of the building, allowing him to have a rough image of her and her long, fair hair. Wanting to see if he could talk to her to convince her to leave with them quietly, he stepped out from behind the corner. As soon as she saw him, however, she hauled open a big gray door behind her and ran through it, slamming the door behind her. The officer ran up to the door but found it was locked, banging on it for a little while. He called out to the woman to show herself, but there was no response. His partner came up with the custodian and he explained the situation which seemed to concern the custodian. Apparently, the door couldn't be locked from the inside. The custodian unlocked it, and the two officers headed inside, gun, guns raised. Shining their flashlights around the room, they revealed everything except the woman they were trying to find. The place was eerie with, the, with their light, and one officer felt it was strangely cold, even for a morgue. The custodian came in behind them and flicked the lights on, filling the room with light. It was largely empty, some workspaces along the sides, equipment against one wall, two gurneys for bodies in the middle of the room. One gurney was covered with a sheet, a body shape underneath it. It would have been a clever hiding space if the room had been more regularly used, but as it was, the officers knew they had their person. As they approached the gurney, they realized something was wrong. There was an unearthly stench emanating from the shape. It wasn't from something alive, or something, or even someone unwashed and sweaty, but rather the smell of rot and death. When the officers pulled the sheet off of the body, there lay the woman they had been chasing through the building, a toe tag hanging off of her foot, stating she died four days earlier. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what you would put on the official report for that. <laughs> like, I'd probably be like, uh, false alarm. And then me and my partner would just probably keep that <laughs> to ourselves that they chased a dead person around. <laughs> or I'd be like, 
call the what's it called? The coroner. <laughs> Is it possible she died just a while ago? <laughs> Cause we chased her. But I digress. Alright, this next one is called A Childish Haunting. The next tale comes from the rural small town in, that, in Nebraska in the early 1990s. At the time of the incident, the town had a number of abandoned buildings police were instructed to inspect. The steady shift of heavy industry from the town had meant many families had moved away, vacating their homes. There was one building in particular that had a problem with copper thieves in the past, so officers were advised to keep a close eye on it. One officer, out on his own due to the small town setting, was making his rounds in the evening when he passed by this house. It sat on the corner of a lot, allowing all four sides of the building to be visible as he drove by. His first pass was around 7 in the evening. The building was run down with flaking paint and boarded up windows. Just another empty shell with no activity. Snow was beginning to pile up, especially around the house. Not cleared or path salted paths. The officer was settling in for another long, dull night. About two hours later, he passed by again on his patrol route and noticed the back door of the house was wide open. The officer knew it was not open last time he passed the house. Logically, he came to the conclusion someone had broken into the house again. Pulling over to investigate, he wondered whether there could be anything left to steal in such a husk of a house. Strangely, when he reached the house, there were no footprints in the snow around the open door. Confused, but not especially worried, the officer called dispatch and told them he was investigating an open door at the property's address and requested a county sheriff start heading over. The officer walked up to the door, still wondering about the lack of footprints, and used his flashlight to shine inside the dwelling. Various thieves throughout the last few years had gutted the place. The plaster walls were all torn down, and piles of rubble and debris accumulated on the floor. He didn't see anyone in the room or footprints in the dust on the floor. With the lack of prints in the snow as well as the floor, the officer figured the wind might have blown the door open. He was about to close and secure the door when he heard a loud thump from the upper floor and what sounded like children laughing. He called up to them, but there was no response. Only more childlike sounds of playing and laughing. The officer called into dispatch again to alert them. He thought the intruders were just some kids playing in the house. He carefully made his way through the kitchen to the living room where the stairs were, checking every corner as he went. Many of the floorboards were rotted, and he had to pick his way delicately through the rooms. As he was moving throughout the house, he heard noises upstairs twice more. Without a verbal response to his inquiries, he started to think it might be an animal. Still, he swore it sounded like children laughing. Figuring he had to check it out anyway, he started to head upstairs to find the source of the sounds. As he did, it immediately became eerily quiet. The upstairs was not particularly step- I'm not sure what that means. The upstairs was not particularly step. 
but it might mean he had to watch his footing. He heard a thump in the bedroom to his left. Not sure what he might find in there, he tentatively approached the door to the room and peeked around the side. It was empty except for a pile of debris and bits of furniture. Oddly enough, there was a new piece of paper on top of the pile. The officer went over to inspect the paper and found it was a torn page out of a children's book. Mostly disturbing, though, the picture had a child's drawing of a police officer on it. The hairs on the back of his neck were up. He heard the children's laughter, this time right behind him. Spinning around, gun raised, he saw no one was there. The officer immediately left the house, telling dispatch it was a false alarm and refusing to ever return to that house. Ooh, creepy. I don't do that. Mm -mm. <laughs> Ghost children. I don't know what that is. I don't mess with it. <laughs> Alright, our next story is called Asua, I believe. Back in the late teen or the, the late teens. Back in the late 1980s, in a middle-sized town in Oregon, originally settled by Finnish immigrants, there was a well-known old man who lived in one of those Victorian-style townhouses common in the early 1900s. He had lived in that house since he was two years old, and many said he and the house had become one, in a way even starting to look like each other, both graying and slowly wearing down with age. Born around 1915, the man had seen many things change in his town. Though not known as a hermit, he had a semi-active social life, although he did carry a distinctly racist streak. Despite his views on race, he was relatively well-liked around town. Unfortunately, the old man was diagnosed with terminal colon cancer and given six months to live. The news was a blow to his community. The man spent a good deal of time saying his goodbyes to people and generally making peace before his final day. The night it happened was cold and clear, around 3 in the morning. The police received a call from a concerned neighbor explaining she hadn't seen the old man leave his house in a couple of days, nor seen the light on recently. Fearing the worst, two officers were dispatched to the house to check on him. When they arrived, multiple neighbors were awakened by the lights of the squad car and went out to see what was going on. Realizing what probably happened, many began to cry. The two officers entered the man's house through the front door after finding it unlocked and were immediately greeted by a massive elk head mounted in the entryway of the house. Its creepy staring eyes made the officers feel like it was watching them. Passing it by and making their way upstairs, they went to the old man's room and found him lying on the floor beside his still-made bed. They checked for a pulse and confirmed he was dead. Saddened, they called it to the station and asked for an ambulance to pick up the body to deliver it to the coroner. At the time, the town only employed a couple of paramedics, thus only one paramedic was at the scene. The two officers were asked by the paramedic to help him carry the body downstairs to the ambulance. At that point, things started to become odd. When the three men began to wake th make their way downstairs with the body, they began to struggle. 
It was then that the lead officer realized something was different about the elk head they had saw on the way into the house. No longer was the head sitting upright as when they originally entered the home, but instead turned to a side. Underneath the head, something was written in wet red paint, A-S-U-A. The officer, his hair standing on end, knew the word from Finnish language his grandparents spoke. A-S-U-A means stay or remain. Still, the officer reached out and swiped a little of the red stuff off of the wall and sniffed it and realized it was blood dripping from the elk head. Freaked out, he yelled up to his partner and the paramedic to tell them what he saw. They also became panic-stricken. The paramedic decided they need to get the body out of the house as fast as they could and told the first officer to open the back of the ambulance so they could get the body in quickly. He agreed and ran for the ambulance, but as his foot left the front porch, all the sirens and lights on the vehicles began to go off simultaneously, creating a blinding light show and a deafening noise that had the neighbors running to get away from it. Thoroughly frightened, the officer hauled open the door of the ambulance and turned to watch the progress of his partner and the paramedic. They had just managed to get the stretcher with the body onto the front porch when, synchronously, every window in the house imploded inward with a deafening racket. The officer by the ambulance watched as the front porch of the house collapsed. It wasn't like the porch gave way, but like the house just gave up. The whole porch in front of the house slumped forward with the sound of tearing wood, creating a slope up to the second floor windows. Dust scattered everywhere and people came back out of their houses to help the officer as he tried to find his partner and the paramedic. Going around the side of the collapsed porch into the gap between the fallen roof and the still standing walls of the porch, he found his partner shaking and babbling. At first, he couldn't get much sense out of him. He was repeating, he sat up, he, he sat up. After a little while of calming him down, the officer managed to find out what his partner witnessed. Apparently, as the porch came down, the old man's body clawed its way out of the body bag and started screaming horribly. The first officer checked the body bag, and sure enough, it was torn to pieces, and the body was sitting up, its face in a rictus scream of terror. Horrified, the officers threw a tarp over the body to hide it, and went to help his partner, who wouldn't go anywhere near the house again. The other ambulance in town came to help out and took the officer and the paramedic away to a trauma center to assess their injuries, while the first officer filled out the paperwork. Along, Although he wrote was anyone's guess, how does one report a house collapsing on its own and a dead body tearing its way out of a body bag? The story has since become local legend around town, and the house stands as it was left that night. No one dares disturb it further. Let's see her. I like that one. Because it's creepy. All right. This is another really freaky one. I'm probably going to take a break after this one. All right. Eyes of the Devil 
The police were called to a domestic violence report in a poor inner city of America's known for its high amounts of crime, prostitution, human trafficking, and drug-related violence. Wow, that's a lot. Neighbors in a residential complex initially phoned in the call as they heard screaming and banging. The police arrived on scene and found seven people, mostly from families who lived in the complex, out on the grass, praying silently. The officers heard the people mumbling under their breath, as though they didn't want to disturb someone. When the officer asked, what are they doing? One answered, praying for our souls. This unsettled the officers and immediately set the tone for what was about to come next. Heading into the apartment they were directed to go to, a room where a member of the family was apparently possessed. Skeptical and thinking this was probably a drug-related incident, they went to assess the situation. Reaching the door, they realized there were multiple voices in the room, although they were advised there was only one man, screaming at one another in languages neither of the officers recognized. Sensing the situation was outside of their expertise, the lead officer called for backup and EMTs for a potentially serious psychological incident. While waiting for backup, to arrive, the officers questioned the family about the man. Apparently, he'd been acting oddly for weeks, becoming anxious and agitated over minuscule things, and progressively more haggard and pale as if he was ill. About half an hour before the police arrived, he'd started screaming. He was getting, he was going to eat his family. Okay, just making sure the recording didn't stop. He was going to eat his family. <laughs> um, and would be dragged back to hell because he'd broken the agreement. Next, he started begging the Virgin Mary to save him. And then began foaming at the mouth and burning himself with holy candles. The family managed to stop him and move him to another room but he'd become more violent to the point where they couldn't control him. A family member said they'd given up when he'd climbed up the walls onto the ceiling. As the family retold the story, the man began or continued to scream so piercingly in unknown languages, the walls were shaking. All the officers involved in the incident were highly experienced, longtime members of the force, but many of the officers were starting to come unglued. I know I would. Shoot. One officer even passed a rosary through his fingers to comfort himself. Alright. When EMTs and backup arrived, they headed upstairs with the officers to the man's room. They tried the door, but the man had locked himself in, forcing the officers to break down the door. They discovered a room completely upturned, almost everything knocked over and covered in bloody foam from the man's mouth. There was one desk lamp still on and working, casting strange shadows and shapes that seemed to transform when eyed. After the officers were sure no one else was in the room, the EMTs moved in and tried to calm the man down. He was huddled in the corner of the room, hunched up in 
a squat like an animal over a fresh kill. He was rambling under his breath to an invisible figure. One of the medics said his name, and his head picked up, but in a way like a dog does. Just a movement of the head and neck, with no self-consciousness of movements. A couple of the officers put their hands onto their guns at that point. Natural reaction, sensing an imminent threat. Disturbed by this, but still trying to remain calm, the medic asked the man how he was feeling. The man sp- smiled and said in Spanish, God himself will not recognize you when I am done with you. At that point, the officers and medics made a unanimous agreement to take the man into custody, quickly. But as they were discussing the situation, the man stood up, breathing heavily. From the scratch marks on his body, it was clear he had been clawing at himself, and his chest was covered in bloody foam from his mouth. Smiling again, he looked at the rosary the officer had hanging around his chest. That trinket won't save you, he said as he rushed towards them. Despite it being just one man against six other people, they had a major fight on their hands. The first officer, the man, uh, the man got to tackled him to the ground. As the others jumped in a pile on top to stop him through sheer weight alone. The man fought wildly, scratching, punching, struggling like a cornered animal, screaming at them all the while. Eventually, they managed to subdue him enough for one of the medics to prepare a syringe to sedate him. As the medic was doing this, the lead officer, who was holding the man's arm over his head, made eye contact with the man. The officer began began crying in horror and released his arms, recoiling away from the man like he was something truly disturbing. In response, the man stopped struggling, gave a deep belly laugh, and made everyone in the room shiver and said to the officer, look closely so you don't forget. The medic managed to get the syringe ready and sedated the man enough for others to get him onto a stretcher and strap him down before taking him out to the ambulance. The officer who made eye contacts or made eye contact with the man was white as a sheet and refused to ride in the ambulance, opting to follow in a patrol car behind. Another officer rode in the ambulance with the medics, and as he tells it, he never took his hand off his gun the entire journey. When they got to the hospital, the officer who made eye contact went to the chapel to pray. Later, when one of the fellow officers asked him about what he saw, he said, His eyes weren't human. I know what I saw. I've never seen anyone with eyes like that. It was like looking into the eyes of the devil. Creepy. Creepy. But, I mean, goes along with one of the couple episodes back where uh, we were talking about some of those submitted stories about psychedelics in the spirit world. And somebody looked into somebody's eyes and it was pretty much like, you know, slits where normal, you know, green eyes should be or brown eyes. And they were just slits in like green or something. I don't know. (laughs) It reminds me of that. (laughs) All right. Let's see. I want to make sure I'm capturing the best.
All right, let's take a short break and then come right back in it. After. All right, welcome back. This one is called The Gray Man. Normally, paranormal activity can be creepy and occasionally terrifying, but it doesn't it normally doesn't result in active harm being done to people. Even poltergeists tend to move things when people aren't home. However, that was not the case in Santa Maria, California in the mid-80s after a series of reports of strange sightings and incidents in the countryside. Many residents reported seeing a tall man standing outside their homes, and a couple of these homes had been broken into recently. These incidents came to a head when a homeowner called the police late one night, frantic and terrified, telling the officer there was a seven-foot gray-haired man outside his door trying to get in. The call came from a man known for being a bit of a drunk, so he wasn't taken too seriously at first, but the operator dispatched a patrol car as required. The operator stayed on the line with the caller, trying to find out more information. The man got increasingly scared claiming the gray man was watching him through his windows and wanted to hurt him. Concerned, the operator asked the caller to describe the man, but all the caller could say was that the man was tall and thin with a large head and huge black eyes. Thinking the caller might be in danger, the operator instructed the caller to lock himself in a room until the officers arrived. As the operator was giving the instructions, there was a loud buzzing noise over the line that increasingly grew louder and louder before the caller screamed and the call was cut off. The operator immediately sent word to the officers en route to expect violence on the scene. The officers, a male and a female, arrived a short while later and inspected the house. It was an old wooden two-story house with whitewashed exterior which was peeling due to the UV exposure and dried out yard out front. There was no one outside the house, nor any sign of someone hanging around. As they approached the house, they could hear the caller screaming horribly from just inside the door. They shouted towards the door, explaining they were police and were coming in, only to find the door completely jammed when they attempted to open it. In the report, they stated the door was not closed by a lock, but more like it was being held shut by something on the other side. Suddenly, a large buzzing started in the house, growing louder and louder, while the man's screaming increased to an ear-splitting tone. Realizing they had to get inside the house one way or another, the officers decided they had to break in. They took turns kicking the door, but were rebounded off of it, as though it was reinforced, although it seemed to just be wooden. Eventually, they managed to break the door down, which halted the buzzing and screaming. They stepped in, but found the man wasn't on the other side of the door. What they found instead was blood splashed on the floors and the walls, a strange-looking bloody footprints. Drawing their guns, the officers entered the house carefully, checking each corner and room. Upstairs, they heard something moving about and someone trying to yell, but someone or something was muffling the person's mouth. They carefully headed upstairs, gun held at the ready, for any attack. 
Upon reaching the landing, they found more bloody footprints, as well as a blood trail from someone being dragged, leading into a room, which behind the door they could hear the muffled voice. The officer opened the door to find the homeowner tied up and gagged, covered in urine, and his eyes bulging in terror. The officer's reported report stated that the man was covered in cuts as if attacked with a razor, except done with a specific purpose. The cuts surrounded his eyes and followed the lines of his organs and vitals, as though wh- whomever cut him wanted to set apart the areas. The man appeared nearly insane with fear, babbling and barely making any sense. When they ungagged and untied him, he broke down sobbing, thanking him, thanking them for saving his life. He claimed the gray man wanted to take him away. Investigators later said the caller was in the room for at least for at least four hours. Nevertheless, there was no sign of forced entry, fingerprints, or any other sign of someone else ever being in the house. The only thing they found were the strange footprint footprints in the blood that couldn't be identified. The man attacked also said he called the police five hours before they showed up and was informed by the operator the patrol was on the way. The officers reported it only took about 30 minutes for them to reach the house from their previous destination and about 10 minutes to find the man once they arrived. Somehow the officers lost over four hours from arrival to discovery. Wow. The man attacked committed suicide a few years later, leaving a note behind describing how they wouldn't leave him alone. And he warned the officers who found him that they were after them too, but also thanking them for rescuing him. The officers have since reported feeling like they are being watched occasionally, especially during the darkest of nights. Ooh, that was a crazy creepy one. Oh my gosh. I love, like, uh, lost time stuff, you know? has a lot to do with, like, alien stories and stuff like that, where people, like, you know, they'll be going down a road and stuff will seem kind of weird, you know, like cars just lined up for no reason. And so they'll kind of, like, pull a Yui and start heading back towards the interstate, <laughs> and only to find that, like, it's four hours later and they can't account for how like a 30 minute drive turned into four hours, (laughs) you know, by the time they reach the interstate, it's like, Oh, it's only been 30 minutes. And then they look at the clock and it's like, Oh wait, it's four hours later. What just happened? (laughs) So I always find those kind of stories kind of fascinating. So it sounds like this is another case of, um, they arrived and then there were like four or five hours before they made it upstairs and found the guy, according to the guy's story. So, who knows? I don't. I certainly don't. But still, very cool, very cool story. All right, let's see. Looking for a good one. All right. This one is called The Changeling. I haven't read it yet, so we will be discovering it together. Here we go. Building sites are often featured in ghost stories, since when new ground is broken, old things 
better left undisturbed, can sometimes reappear to haunt those involved. They're not always ghosts, though. Often they can be something stranger. That's where this next story begins. One balmy summer's night in the late 90s at a housing estate at the edge of town under construction, but also with a series of completed model homes for potential buyers to view. During the day, the model homes, the model homes lights and appliances were on to make the house as welcoming and homely as possible. On the night in question, a security guard was patrolling all the properties and switching everything off, locking the homes down, and then heading home for the night. The estates had been having issues with thieves, and the construction company requested a patrol pass by during the night. The officer assigned to the patrol was passing by the estate at about 1 a.m. The place had been locked down for a while, and the officer was expecting it to be dark until he noticed all the lights were on in the model homes. He put a call into dispatch, and they put him in touch with the security guard, who assured the officer he turned everything off when he left earlier. The officer, thinking it was some sort of pranksters, but needing assurance, asked the guard to come out to the site and meet him with the keys. While the officer was waiting, he thought he saw people in the upper windows of at least one of the houses watching him. But when he turned the when he turned, the people were gone. This put him on guard, but without any concrete sightings, it could have just been shadows from passing cars. The guard showed up uh, after a little while, and they began to patrol the site together, checking each of the buildings and locking them down properly. There were eight model homes in total, and the first three, aside from having the lights and appliances on, were clear, and the doors were even locked which made it even stranger. In the fourth house, though, as they were checking the kitchen area, there was a click, and all the lights in the house suddenly went out. It wasn't a power cut, as the other house's lights were still on, nor was it a breaker issue, as all the appliances still had power, and nothing in the breaker board had been tripped. The lights had just shut off, despite no logical reason why. This put a small shiver into both men, but they considered some kind of electrical fault a minute later. With another click, the lights went back on. They both laughed off their fears, knowing the homes were newly built and had starter issues. They continued to think in this way right up until they noticed the lights in the next house were out, and instead the TV was on. Exchanging a worried glance and thinking something strange was definitely happening, they had they headed over to the other home. When they arrived, the lights came back on, but the TV was on standby mode, something only possible by touching the dashboard on the console. There was no sign of anyone being in the house, and nothing else was touched. More than that, they hadn't even seen anyone leave the house on their way over, which theoretically they should have. The guard and the officer were becoming more and more unsettled, and in the darkness, it was all too easy to see things moving from the corners of their eyes. The guard switched off the lights in the house and secured it, moving on to the next two, where where there were not any incidents. The two men began to feel a little better until they reached the last house. After turning out all the lights, they were just about to leave when they 
both heard a series of clicks from upstairs, like someone was running through the house flicking the light switches. They both ran upstairs, the officer with his gun drawn, to find all the lights upstairs back on again. Feeling a chill under their skin, they searched the entire upstairs again, but found no trace of anyone there. The guard went around again, turning off all the lights, except one a dimmer in the hallway. As he reached it, the light began to dim on its own and then brighten again. Both men, properly scared, backed away from the light as it steadily brightened and dimmed, brightened and dimmed, then suddenly snapped off. The officer and the guard decided to get out of there at that point. They ran downstairs, turned off all the remaining lights, and locked the door. As they were leaving, the officer thought he saw a shape moving out of the corner of his eye. Yet when he turned, he was knocked down by something he could only describe later as a heavy black shape. The officer was a big man, over 250 pounds, so it would take a substantial knock to put him on the ground. The guard described seeing a black shape hit the officer, and when it landed, it took the form of a skunk. But it didn't stop changing. He watched in horror as it kept shifting to the shape and color of dogs from a Doberman, a Bloodhound, a Tan Mastiff, then finally settling on a golden lab before running away into the night. The guard also said the number of feet he heard running uh, didn't match the number he saw. Both the officer and the security guard have no explanation for what happened that night, and neither of them would go back to that estate again. Ooh, I don't blame them. Seeing a shapeshifter? Very, very scary. <laughs> um... Yeah, I wonder if that was like a skinwalker or just some kind of sheep shape shifter that we haven't heard of. It's kind of a cool story, though. I definitely wouldn't be sticking around to make sure everything is locked up tight. And I'd be like, screw that. <laughs> I'm going home to pray or something. <laughs> All right, let's see. One last one from my book, and then we'll get to some articles that I found online. Um, this one... This one is called Shadow Man. Shadow people are a common urban myth, usually said to be pitch black, humanoid forms appearing from the corner of your eyes or in doorways late at night. Legend says they are another species of life that exists in a kind of negative version, which every so often cross over to here. Most people dismiss them as eye light tricks, um, but once in a while there is a story that makes you think there might be something to the legends. This incident, oh, this incident took place in the dry, dusty areas of the southern U.S., where houses are miles apart and separated by scrubland, fields of oil pumps, and parched gravel roads that seem to go on forever. Many residents go their entire lives without moving away or seeing another part of the country, and the memories of the place run deep and old. One late night in this landscape, a young police officer was called by an elderly man about a trespasser on his property. The caller described a big black man who he'd seen out the back of his property, hanging around his shed. 
At first, he was just irate someone was trespassing on his land. But steadily, he grew scared as the man didn't leave, but instead watched him from the shadows. The officer arrived a short while later, and the old man, incredibly frightened, met him out front. He said he kept seeing the huge black man in the backyard, and he even thought he might be naked. But he wasn't sure. Nor did he know if the man was armed. He did know he felt like the figure meant him harm. The officer, seeing the old man in his isolation and hearing a story about a massive black man wandering outside the house, thought there was a good chance the old man was just starting to see things, but he decided to check it out anyway. Getting the homeowner to stay at the front of the house, the officer pulled his flashlight out and headed around back to see if there was an intruder. Never having been on the property before, the officer didn't know where the shed was exactly, so he was shining his light around everywhere. The farmhouse's golden or the farmhouse's garden was dry and unkept, forcing him to push through scratching overgrown bushes and brush to get to the back. Shadows jumped at him as he moved through the thickets, his light making everything move strangely. As he neared the back of the house, the officer started to smell something awful. It was an acrid, hot, chemical smell, like burning aluminum, which made him choke and cough. In any other place, this would be unusual, but the home was near the oil fields, and the officer didn't really think too much about it. When his light fell across the shed, he saw the old man hadn't been seeing things. There, standing silhouetted against the wooden shed, was a huge black figure. At first, the officer thought the figure was naked, as all he could see was an enormous human-shaped figure with broad shoulders and no visible clothing, as its lower half was obscured by the scrub and sawing horses the old man had beside the shed. What he thought was especially strange was the fact that the man's skin had a tr strange texture, like it was covered in raised bumps. Thinking this might be a sight case, he needed to react carefully. The officer put his hand on his gun and approached the figure slowly. Police, don't move, he said, not shouting as to not startle the man and cause an issue. Turn around slowly with your hands where I can see them, he continued. The figure turned at the sound of the officer's voice, and it was then the officer realized that he was seeing what he was seeing was not a human being or anything he'd ever seen before. The thing was jet black, like the darkest shadow imaginable without physical or facial features, except two massive red glowing eyes. Without thinking, the officer went to pull his firearm out of his holster, but his movement spurred the figure into action turning around it began to walk away from the officer its right shoulder passing through the shed like it wasn't there and then through a cinder block wall that marked the edge of the property a short distance further the officer stated stated as it passed through the shed and the wall there was a sound like a bug zapper or arcing electricity, and the chemical smell worsened. Shaken and scared, and unsure as to what he had just seen, 
the officer slowly backed out of the garden and headed around front again. When he got there, the old man said he'd been getting worried something happened to the officer since he was gone for so long. When the confused officer asked for clarification, the old man said he'd been gone over half an hour. The officer felt like it had only been a few minutes. Still freaked out from what he'd seen, the officer didn't realize how strange that lost time was until later. Thinking to spare the old man further, he told him he'd seen someone, but he ran off into the darkness as soon as he saw the officer, and he hadn't been able to give chase. Together, they went back around to the shed, but nothing had been moved or disturbed. However, the smell of burning aluminum remained. This seemed to satisfy the old man, who thanked the officer and went back to his house. The officer, on the other hand, was ill for days after his encounter with the creature. His face and hands became sore and peeled, as if he'd been badly sunburned. It was only sometime later did the officer realize that what he saw was markedly similar to the legendary Mothman, who was spotted around Point Pleasant, including the lost time and the burned skin. No one in the town saw the creature again, but the officer stands by his story to this day. Ooh, creepy, creepy. That's a good one. So I don't know what that was, whether it was a shadow person or, you know, I mean, shadow people, they're usually observers. You don't see them like, you know, manifest and then like do stuff. Normally they're just there. So I'm not sure about this one. I've never heard of it smelling like burnt metal or the electricity part whenever they're passing through stuff but i definitely am open-minded enough to think there could be other you know dimensions other people other states of reality you know other states of consciousness you know i definitely think the world is weird enough to allow that (laughs) into at least consideration Um, so yeah, I'm going to put a maybe by that one. All right, let's see any of these. All right, I pulled up some police stories. And this is called Ghost Patrol, the scariest things cops have seen on the beat. Most cops will tell you they've seen it all, but what about the paranormal? It's from police1.com, and it was written by Police One staff, is all it says. All right, here we go. Most cops will tell you they've seen it all. It's the nature of the job to be exposed to virtually everything America has to offer, but from the weird to the hilarious to the disturbing. But what about the paranormal? We asked our audience to share the scariest, strangest, and most unexplained thing they've seen in their career, and their stories were downright spooky. Check out our roundup of the best responses, and if you can top these, please send your story to me. All right, this first one, it's called A Different Kind of Evil. These are all from police officers. 
Several years ago, I took a 911 call for a family reporting their teenage daughter was possessed. They claimed no possibility of drugs or history of mental illness, which I, of course, didn't believe for a second. Family members were holding her down, and I could hear two people screaming at each other in the background. I asked the caller to tell whoever was yelling at her to stop. The caller said, it's her. I responded that I knew it was her, but whoever was yelling at her at the same time needed to stop. The caller again said, it's her. Both voices are her. I kid you not, it was the creepiest thing I have ever heard. I've been doing this for 25 years and have heard many things. I know of man's inhumanity and the horrible things people do to each other, but this was a different kind of evil. It was clearly, I was clearly hearing a young girl screaming at the same time as an adult male was yelling back. I couldn't understand either languages, but they were clearly two distinct different voices coming from the same little girl. The family swore both voices were coming from her at the same time. It made my skin crawl. The lieutenant listened to the tape later and he looked at me and said, do you ever wonder? And I answered, yeah, yeah, I do. Ooh, that's creepy. Uh, no bueno on these possessed stories. I don't really like those. <laughs> All right. Next one is called cell number one is empty. I've seen a lot of things in my career, things that would make a citizen doubt my sanity. But being dispatched to chase a UFO to responding to calls of ghosts. But the most unusual thing that has happened to me was witnessed by several officers and a dispatcher. One evening, I had brought in a guy for domestic violence. And as he was a bit rowdy, I was joined in booking by the sergeant and another patrolman. I'm in the process of booking Mr. Tough Guy when I glance into cell number one. There was a guy in there. Short haircut, glasses, and white t-shirt, just staring at us. I ignored him because I didn't want him to start banging on the window, demanding a phone call or something. So I finished the booking process and escort Mr. Tough Guy to his cell, walking past cell number one. The guy in the cell just stood there, never saying a word or moving. We all then leave booking and go about our business. Sometime later, the sergeant asked me to check the paperwork for the prisoners to see if there were see if any were ready for transport to the county jail. I grab the paperwork and go into booking to do a head count. Cell number one is empty. I panic and tell the sergeant, who already also panics, and he and I begin to make phone calls to the detectives to see if they had moved the guy or had released him. They all say they didn't go into booking at all. Then check the computer and paperwork again, and the head count was accurate. No one had been placed in cell number one. We go to the dispatch office to check the surveillance video for booking. We rewind the footage to where I can be seen booking my prisoner. We fast forward to the point in the video where we all walk out. As soon as we walk past the door, the guy in number one blinks out of existence. We were all freaked out by the occurrence. Believe you me. When we tried to transfer the video to DVD, and USB drive, the guy in the cell did not appear. We still hear and see stuff every now and then, 
and prisoners in the detox tank can be seen talking to someone in the direction of cell number one, even though it appears empty. To this day, I'm wary of going to that booking alone. Ooh, freaky. All right, next one is a welfare check. I answered a welfare check call one night. It was very late, between 2.30 and 3 in the morning, on an elderly woman who lived next door to the caller and not been seen for some time. This night, we were having a bad thunderstorm without the rain. I get to the complainant's house to speak to her first, wondering why she called at this time of night. She tells me the lady next door is in her 90s, lives alone, and she has not been seen in weeks. She explained that she has called, went over, knocked on the door, but the lady will not answer. I started thinking she's probably deceased and has been for some time. The car has a three-inch layer of dust on it, and the mail is piling up, and no lights are on. First, I walked to the side door and knocked on the door with my flashlight. Knocking loud enough, an elderly person with hearing uh, should hear it. After a few minutes of no response, I turn around and walk to the backyard, looking at the windows and find everything's okay. The complainant is with me and is saying she doesn't know any relatives of the lady. I'm sure by now she's probably deceased. So I walk to the front door of the house and notice her blinds are up in the front window. I can see a glow from inside. I'm, however, not tall enough to look into the window, which are probably seven feet off the ground. The complainant runs next door and grabs a bucket for me to stand on. I get a bucket and bingo. I can see the living room. The glow was from the TV, which was on a blue screen and bright enough I didn't need my flashlight to see in. I looked first at the floor to make sure she had not fallen there. There was a couch, recliner, everything was empty. The telephone home base was blinking red with the missed calls and voicemails. From the living room was a hallway that was dark and I couldn't see down. Using my flashlight, I could only see the open door and open door down the hallway. Still no signs of life. I turned around and told the complainant that everything looked okay and nothing was disturbed. I turned back around and an elderly woman is looking back at me with her face right up next to the glass. I couldn't breathe. It felt as if I had been hit in the chest by a bat. I fell backwards and off the bucket. I hit the ground hard and the complainant rushed to me. I pulled her off or I pushed her off as she was trying to help me up and ran back up to the bucket. My heart was pounding, but I had to see. Instinct had my hand on my gun and the other one up on the window. I looked back inside and saw a frail elderly woman standing in the hallway wearing a long nightgown with her back to me. She turned her head to the side and looked at me out of the corner of her eye and slowly walked out of view and down the hallway. That unnerved me. So I got down and looked at the complainant who was standing there with a puzzled look on her face. All I could say was I saw her. By now, the wind had picked up and it began to rain. I began to walk back to my car by the road and turned back to the complainant and said, Don't come back here. I turned back to the complainant and said, Don't come back here. I got in the car and drove to PD. I never found out about the lady who lives there. The complainant didn't call back, and the house now has different tenants inside. 
Some things are better left alone. That just sounds like the lady wasn't dead. But if she was, it's still her house, I guess. This one's called No Scent. Over 20 years ago, I took an alarm call at the old PTA building across the street from the courthouse in Austin, Texas. The alarm had already gone quiet when I showed up with a senior officer. We found an unsecured door slightly open on the east side, so he posted me there while he finished the perimeter, and other officers arrived. I was staring right at the door when the alarm activated again. The door slammed shut in my face, loudly. The senior officer ran back to my position and asked why I closed the door. I told him I didn't. We called for the canine, and the dog arrived shortly. I went in with canine to clear the building. We found nothing, but the entire time the dog was act acting very hinky. Like someone was in the building, but he wasn't picking up a scent. He secured the building, and the key holder showed up. He said, well, you know this place is haunted, right? There was a secretary that worked there for about 30 years, and after she died, she keeps showing up for work. Papers fly off the desks, doors close, sightings, the works. We both told the key holder the next alarm call there was all his. <laughs> Clark Hall. I was working at a college that claims to be haunted. Me and my partner didn't believe in any of it. We went into Clark Hall, which has classrooms, and start propping doors open with desks. This was around, oh, 200 hours. Oh, we're using military time. This is around 2 a.m. We already knew, we already walked through and made sure the building was empty. Only two t stairwells, donut wasn't hard to do. We're on the third floor. I finished my door and wedged a desk in between the door and the frame. When I finish, I shake it to make sure it's pretty secure. I go over to help my buddy with his door. When behind me, the door I was working on opens up and the chair-desk combo flings across the room and the door slams. We take off running, jumping, landing to landing. <laughs> I still don't think he's ever gone into that building again. Yeah, that's creepy. I don't like stuff being thrown around on its own. Burglary in progress. Called to a burglary in progress during the daytime. The owner was in the kitchen and heard someone run upstairs to the third floor. It's an old house, wooden stairs. We set up a perimeter around the house. I came up with canine. Just as I gave canine warning, a perimeter officer saw a hand pull a curtain back on the top floor and relayed the info to me. Thinking Shirley would make an apprehension with canine, sent my partner in. Long story short, nobody was found. Officer was 100% sure he saw what he saw. The homeowner was confident he heard running up of 12 steps. Creepy, creepy. That's in the daytime, too. It's like one of our stories where she saw, you know, she was in the house by herself doing laundry. And she saw uh, a man's hand 
at the same time she was going to open the curtain. Sometimes people be seeing stuff like that. All right. Um, let's see how we're doing on time. Ooh, goodness. Um, let's take a short break and I'll get right back into it. All right, welcome back. All right, this one is called Just Saying Hello. A couple of years back, I was patrolling around 3 or 4 a.m. I drove by a small airport in my jurisdiction that is the middle of the woods, that is in the middle of the woods, which has several hangars and one main office building. I drive by it a few times a night as it has been burglarized in the past. On this particular night, I'm driving by and hear an audible alarm sounding from inside. I was not dispatched and I did not receive any other calls about it. I call it in and walk up to the building, which is completely dark and not occupied. Every point of entry is secure, so I am now waiting for the key holder to let me in to clear the inside. I figure a loose door, the wind, etc. trip the alarm. The key holder comes out with his wife in a couple of minutes and they open the door for me. I clear the entire office, a garage, nothing is disturbed. The key holder is confused as the alarm is not a motion alarm, nor an alarm system. The key holder explains to me that the alarm is coming from a cash register that was opened inside of the office. The cash register could only be opened by pressing a hidden button, which I'll say was extremely well hidden without going into too much detail. The only people who knew where the button was located was he, his wife, and his deceased father. He told me the cash register closes and locks without pressing this button. It couldn't possibly be opened. It was not an oversight either, as I had driven by several hours before and heard nothing. The money was not disturbed, however, the register was all the way opened. The keyholder smiled and told me that his father had created and owned the airport before he had passed away, and the airplanes and this place in particular were his passion and his life's work. The keyholder also told me that he believes his father does things like that to bring his family to the airport, just to say hello and make his presence known. I don't have any other explanation for it. Well, we have a prankster ghost, which we hear about those. Alright, this one is called All Alone. I was the sergeant working overtime graveyard at a now demolished sub. Sub? Like, submarine? Or subway? Maybe it's a subway. I don't know. It was my lunch break and I heard someone open the door at the other end of at the other end of the sub and heard footsteps. Maybe it is a submarine. I don't know. I had the lights off in my office because the hall lights more than lit it up. I saw someone in the door, and when I turned to look, it was a shadow figure standing in the doorway, as if to say, Hi, Sergeant. It wasn't something I saw at the corner of my eye. It was there for a couple of seconds and then went on towards the lieutenant's office. Later, when I asked the guys if they had ever experienced anything strange at the sub, they responded, That's why we don't come back until the sun comes up. I found out about other experiences uh, that others had, and it was similar. 
I'm still a skeptic, but I can't explain what I saw. I don't know what it, that means. <laughs> I'm still confused if that's a submarine <laughs> or a substation or like what. But I digress. Good conversation. I was working at our jail, and while doing my watch tour, I was heading into the medical and heard two people having a conversation and thought it was two inmates in a cell talking. I went to the first cell and no names on the door, so I didn't look in. I went to the next door, had one name on it. I opened the hatch to look in, and there was a guy in there. I didn't say anything at first to him, and as in closing his hatch, he asked me if I could move his neighbors over because he was alone and would like some company. Um, I then went over to the previous door, checked in the window just in case someone didn't put names on the door, looked in, and no one was in the cell. I went back to the guy in the other cell and asked him if he'd heard people talking. He said yes, and they had been talking a lot. I informed him there was nobody next door, and then I got out of there. <laughs> well, that's not nice, even that guy. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, you're hearing voices? There's nobody out there. <laughs> Bye. Sorry, you're locked up. <laughs> All right. The boy on the bench. I work security in a med center after retirement. Opened the place one morning at 0500. As I passed an alcove, for an instant, I saw a boy about nine years old, brown hair, striped shirt, sitting on a bench. Then he was gone. Anyway, out of embarrassment, I never told a soul about it. I had eight retired detectives working for me, and one day I was having a conversation with one of them. Very sheepishly, he asked me if I ever saw anything strange in the place when I opened in the morning. When I asked why, he said he saw a young boy wearing a striped shirt sitting on a bench, and then he was gone. The same location where I saw the kid. Other things have happened... Um, that happened were coffee pots being knocked over, footsteps late at night when closing. Later found out the med center was located adjacent to the most haunted cemetery on Staten Island. Okay. Yeah, I hope I never have to, like, I work <laughs> at a place that's open 24-7, so, like, I never have to shut off the lights and be the last one in or lock up or anything like that. It's always got security. It's always got lights. <laughs> so I'm kind of fortunate in that regard. I've always thought it was super creepy when it, you would have to go through and like shut off lights <laughs> and then also get to the door and also not get eaten up by ghosts and stuff. <laughs> the darkness. <laughs> All right. I digress. This one is called The Rural Encounter. I work on a country or a county road. I work on county roads and I had a signal 100 at about three in the morning. And my closest bathroom was about 30 minutes out. I guess signal 100 is have to pee. So I pulled, I pulled down a dark gravel road and started my business. I felt like someone was watching me. Looking towards the rear bumper of my unit and approximately 20 feet behind my bumper, I saw a shadowy figure standing there. I stop and zip up. I totally was not finished. Yell out, 
what I thought was a person. I got no reply from the figure. I start to apologize to the figure, thinking it was the landowner coming to see who was peeing in their driveway, but no response. Then I go into tack mode and demand them show their hands and identify themselves, but no answer. I finally get smart and use my light to see who it was, and as the light passes over the figure, the figure was the figure was gone. Keep in mind this conversation was about 20 seconds long, and I just saw something there. I look around, I hear no running through the brush. I turn to make to get I turn to get make into my get back into my unit. I take one more look back and see a shadowy figure move towards me from where I last saw it. Needless to say, I got in my unit and sped off because bullets were not going to stop his spirit. <laughs> oh, that's creepy. Good thing he didn't pee himself, or at least he didn't tell us about it. Right. The next couple are kind of short. This one sound the alarm. The jail had a notorious spirit, Sarah Ware, who would play with the lights and set off alarms. Most of the alarms are panic alarms in locked offices where switches actually had to be pushed and slid into a slot to activate. It got to the point where officers were afraid to go in the courthouse for an alarm by themselves. Right. Next one is really short. Secret friends. A little kid on a custody exchange kept telling me about her secret friends standing near me. Not really too scary, but creepy. Especially when she's telling me one doesn't like me. <laughs> Oh, kids, they're imaginary friends. I know if I ever have kids, if they're like me, they might not be so imaginary. So, basically, I hope I never have kids. Because <laughs> that would freak me the crap out. I know uh, a couple times watching my nieces or nephews, they've been like, there's a man. I'm like, no, there's not. Shut up. <laughs> You're about to freak me the crap out. <laughs> Alright, this one's called Hind Legs. One year, our department started receiving complaints of headstones being knocked over in the city cemetery around Halloween. The chief advised us on the midnight shift to spend our extra time around the cemetery to catch the persons causing damage. Me being sneaky, I found a good observation point about a block away. There were two major well-lit streets providing fair lighting into the cemetery. For several nights, I would, from time to time, stop and check the cemetery with my binoculars and only patrol the cemetery at the start and end of my shift, as usual. One time checking the cemetery, I spotted something that looked like a cat walking on its hind legs. I watched it walk approximately 10 feet between headstones and lost sight of it. I rushed over to the area in my patrol car, turning on my spotlight, alley lights, and takedown lights. Couldn't find a thing but a track through the dew on the grass that dead-ended at a headstone. To this day, I can remember how it moved, and its outline in my binoculars. It was creepy. I'm an avid hunter, and I've done plenty of hunting at night. I'm very familiar with all the animals in my neck of the woods. And I've never seen anything like that. 
Ooh, creepy. So it looked like a cat walking on its hind legs. Well, I mean, maybe you saw some of the fae or something. I don't know. Maybe it was a ghost. All right. Let's keep on going. This one is called Home. Several years back, me and my partner were looking for a kidnaps, kidnapping suspect in some abandoned houses. Around 3.30 in the morning, we go to check out a house in a very rural and remote part of the county. Why are y'all going at 3 in the, 30 in the morning? Like, that is the creepiest time to go check out some abandoned houses. Go in the daytime, people. I don't know. Maybe it was like a time thing. Like they, they had to do it right then. I don't know. <laughs> I could not be a cop. Way too chicken for that. The house is extremely large and creepy looking. We make entry and find the inside of the house is something out of a Tim Burton's nightmare. There are walls going halfway up and stopping. There are doorways barely big enough to stick your head through and opening up into massive empty rooms. Every time we thought we'd made it to the top floor, we'd find another staircase leading up. Finally, we made it to the attic and find all kinds of crazy stuff drawn on the walls. Needless to say, we finished clearing the house and got out of there. That is all kinds of creepy. Somebody was very creative in making that house. Like, I bet they were so happy. They were like, ha this half door you can't fit through, but it leads to my ballroom. Leads to my grand entertainment center. And then people that come after them are like, dude, it was the creepiest house I've ever seen. There was no rhyme or reason. <laughs> well, that person was probably just eccentric that built it. Or it's haunted. I don't know. All right. Um, no, I don't want to read that one. There we go. A call for help. Calls for service come from a vacant household twice a night for about a week. The voice on the phone sounded like an elderly at-risk lady with Alzheimer's, barely audible, saying, please help, please help, and then coughing. Totally unresponsive to our calls, confirmed with my shift sergeant at the house's last residence was a a daughter taking care of her mother who was dying from stage 2 lung cancer. It sent a shiver down my back. Oh, so I guess they didn't go try to help. <laughs> Awkward. I just still made them go out there. Go check it out. As long as I don't have to. Alright, paperwork. One cold winter night around 3 in the morning... <laughs> All this stuff is in the morning. Goodness. I was parked in the dark, in the dark, doing paperwork behind a Kmart. Suddenly, someone or something banged on my driver's side window two to three times. Obviously scaring the hell out of me, but it happens. Except that nobody was there. Business wall, 8 to 15 feet to my right. 10 foot solid fence on my left. 100 foot open space front and back. Nothing but my own tire tracks in the blanket of fresh snow. No marks on my window. 
or ground indicating a snowball or anything. I even got down in the snow and looked under my car. Still a bit anxious whenever I drive back there. Yeah, I would be too. That's freaky. Um, and our last one says, he's staring at you. One of our regular callers was a lady in her 80s. When she wouldn't take her medicine, she would hallucinate and see children in her house, and she would call us to report the children were moving her belongings around and making noises, etc. I've been to her house several times for these calls, but on one occasion, I was talking to her in the dining room of her home, and she was getting aggravated because she could see the children, but I couldn't. I she looked at me with a concerned voice and loudly said, You can't see him. He's been staring at you for like 10 minutes now and grinning. <laughs> While saying this, she was pointing to a spot about five feet from me. I know it was only a hallucination, but the way she spoke about it with such concern was extremely creepy. I agree. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, um... Yes, yes, I do. I do see him. Y'all need to go now. You are not welcome here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I totally could not, you know, I have much respect for, you know, people that can do this kind of stuff. <laughs> they be ghost hunters or cops or whoever they are going into places in the middle of the night is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> it freaks me out. So, I don't know what much more to say about that. Let me see my other my other articles that I have pulled for you guys. Hmm, yes. All right, we will take a short break and then get right back into a couple more scary true stories. And yeah. All right, welcome back. We are going to get into 20 creepy true stories to read in the dark tonight. These have nothing to do with police officers. These are just scary stories. The first one is super creepy, and it's called The Man in the Bunny Costume. So get ready for that to haunt your dreams. <laughs> When I was younger, I used to live by the woods and could see a cemetery from my back porch. One Easter, I remember waking up and seeing the Easter Bunny, one of those terrifying costumes, and what really gets me is I remember smelling wet hay. When I woke up, I didn't tell anyone, but there was an extra Easter egg in my house that my parents didn't hide. Years later, when I was in high school, I asked my parents if they ever dressed up like the Easter Bunny, and came into our room. They said they would never go through such trouble. Then my younger sister, who I shared a bunk bed with, uh, when this happened, said she remembers the Easter Bunny came into our room and made a remark about the hay smell. I was terrified that we both remember seeing a person dressed as the bunny in our room. To make it even stranger, I told the friends I sat with at lunch what happened. One of the girls was my neighbor across the street. She told me one Easter a long time ago, she looked out her window during the night and saw the Easter Bunny standing in her driveway. 
I had chills. To this day, I'm terrified of people in rabbit costumes. <laughs> I definitely understand that. Um, don't know what to tell you about that one, but there was probably a vagrant in your home at some point. All right. The ghost babysitter. When my niece was really young, she was in a bouncer at my sister's house. I was house-sitting and babysitting. I left her to go to the kitchen to grab some water. My sister's chocolate lab was probably sniffing and licking her because I could hear her giggling like she was having a blast. I hadn't noticed how cold it had gotten. Then I hear it, a loud wooden snap, like a piece of wood had been snapped in half suddenly or a tree was knocked over. I ran into the room, and what I saw and smelled freaked me out. The dogs were huddled in the corner, whimpering. My niece was just staring at the ceiling corner with wide eyes, and it was cold, and it smelled like Stetson. I took her, and we decided to go to a different room. When my sister finally got home, I told her what happened. She rolled her eyes and just said, Oh, that's Hugh. I was confused. She said Hugh was the previous owner of the house who had died 10 years before his wife sold it. She said he likes to follow my niece around and you can tell it's him because the dogs freak out and it smells like cheap cologne. I don't believe in that kind of stuff, but I do believe that feeling you get in your gut when something doesn't feel right, and I definitely had it. Stranger in the house. In college, I would go home every other weekend at the job I had since high school. I would drive directly from campus after my last class on Friday to my job. It's about an hour. And after my shift was done, I'd go to my parents' house, which was out in the middle of nowhere. My parents weren't home yet when I got back from work. They often spend their Friday and Saturday evenings drinking like they were the ones in college. So the house was dark, and since it was mid-fall, so was the yard. Save the yard light. I pulled into my normal parking spot, got out of my car, and then turned to open the back door of my car and get my backpack out. And that's when I noticed the bathroom light was on. Was that light on when I pulled up? It must have been, right? As I was contemplating the light and reached for my backpack, there was suddenly a very angry-looking old woman standing in the window staring at me. We're not talking resting bitch face here. She was pissed off at me, and I knew it. We stood there staring at each other for a good ten seconds when my parents pulled into the driveway and distracted me from the stare down with the woman in the bathroom. By the time I turned back, the light was still on, but the woman was gone. No one was in the house either. That's freaky. No, thank you. <laughs> I get it. Sometimes there's residual hauntings. Sometimes there's, you know, that veil is very thin. I remember sitting in my bathroom. You know, I've already told the story, but there was like a woman crying that appeared. And then as soon as I went to get another look, like a double take, she disappeared. <laughs> and I was like, did that just happen? Oh my gosh. So I get it. Never had a stare down with one. That would be freaky. 
when the dead walk the halls. I don't know why I said it that way. <laughs> when the dead walk the halls. I used to volunteer at a nursing home where we had several instances where new residents accurately described former residents down to the specific nightgowns or color of glasses who I and the staff knew had died in that room or and complain about them coming into the room at night. Then once I was walking down the hallway and it was normally uncomfortable, uncomfortably warm inside, but I felt a chill and goosebumps. One of the CNAs said I had been walking, I had just walked through a ghost. I couldn't get warm again for the rest of the day. There were flickering lights and TVs turning themselves on. Several of the staff were from the same Southeast Asian country and they were talking about ghosts and disrespect for the dead so much that management had someone come in to do a candlelight ceremony. And this lady with crystals and dreadlocks came in to do a sage burning. Things calmed down after that. Lights stayed on better and residents seemed calmer. Wow. I can't imagine. Like, how do you expense that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Like it was a business expense. We're getting rid of spirits, calming them down. All right, this one's called the Phantom Hairdryer. I was in my sophomore year of high school. I would usually get ready and then wait for my mother to drive me to school. While she was getting ready, I was just kind of hanging out in the bathroom with her while she was putting on makeup and curling her hair. She looked like she looked a little frazzled, and I asked if everything was okay. She told me about a weird occurrence the night before. She told me she had been woken up at around 2 in the morning by a strange noise. It wasn't super loud, but it was pretty constant. My dad hadn't woken up by it, though, and it's not surprising as she sleeps. he sleeps like a log. Anyway, she starts looking for the source of the noise, first checking the bathroom attached to their room, but there isn't anything there. Next, she walks out into the hallway and hears the noise from the bathroom nearby. When she walks in, she sees a hairdryer plugged in and turned on, just sitting in the middle of the bath mat on the floor. She thinks it's strange, but there are four kids living in the house, and she thought maybe someone had sleptwalked, turned it on, whatever. She unplugs it and puts it away. She goes back to bed and eventually falls asleep. About an hour later, she wakes up and hears the same noise. She's kind of pissed off and goes to check it again, except now the noise is... The noise is from downstairs. She tracks it down into the guest bathroom in the main entry hall. My parents' house has like four bathrooms. She opens the door and again, there's a hairdryer turned on laying in the middle of the floor. She's freaked out by this point, but she unplugs it and puts it away. And she didn't get a great night's sleep after that. So she's telling me the story. And as soon as she comes to the conclusion, we both just freeze and turn our heads uh, into the walk-in closet off her bathroom. As soon as we look in there, the entire light on the ceiling shatters. Not the bulb, but the glass cover. It shatters, sending shards of glass everywhere. Well, we both freak and get the heck out of there. We didn't know what to make of it, but we haven't had really had any experience this before or since. And none of my family has experienced anything either. That's freaky. That's like one of those synchronization kind of things, I think. Because I feel like uh, growing up, like when we would start telling scary stories, 
and then like we'd start hearing things or like a a light would blow all of a sudden <laughs> it's like one of those things that's like not directly related to what's going on but it sure freaks the crap out of you that it happened at that moment <laughs> all right this one is called the nightmares I was a caretaker of a small uninhabited island off the coast of Maine, and my girlfriend and I started having synchronized nightmares about things we have never discussed before. They involved very specific themes, and after a month of this happening, we were gifted a history book of the island that had a small chapter in the back that mentioned the exact hauntings we were having. Ooh, freaky. I don't mess with people have those dream hauntings. Like, I had very vivid dreams, and I know if it's about to turn scary. <laughs> if I, like, look around and I'm in our old house that we grew up in, it's about to turn scary. If I am in a dark church, it's about to turn scary. And I've taught myself to, like, wake myself up. It's like a clue. <laughs> like, oh, you're in the church at night with no lights on. This is not reality. <laughs> you would never do this, you know? Um, and sometimes I actually make it to the scary part and I'm like, okay, no, no, <laughs> we're waking up now. <laughs> Used to terrorize me whenever I was a kid. All right. The next story is called, this is why the basement is locked. My mother was having dinner at a friend's house. It was a small old cottage that had been around for a hundred years. She tries to find the bathroom and pulls on a door that is locked. The friend sees and says, Sorry, that goes to the basement. The bathroom is over there. Thinking it's odd, my mother asks why the basement door is locked. It's always locked. In fact, I don't even have a key for it. The real estate agent advised me not to go down there, as it's not been upgraded like the rest of the house. It's a little more than, it's a, little more than a root cellar. Fast forward a few weeks when my mother, who works for the police department's community division, is working on a project about the history of the police department in town. An old man comes in with news clippings about various community events, as well as news clippings from the 50s about a gruesome murder. My mom is a bit taken back. Sorry, I forgot those clippings were in here too. No, I know this address. It's my friend's house. What happened there? Oh, well, that used to be my mother's house. She had been dating this man who was cruel to her, beat her horribly. She tried again and again to break it off with him, but he'd always come back. Finally, my aunt moved in with us, and my mother, my mother finally broke up with him. He starts getting emotional. Then one night, he broke in, tied my mother, my aunt, my sister and my brother up in the basement. He shot them all in front of my mother, and then he shot her. Killed himself, leaving a note that she would never leave him again. I was away at college. He started to sob. And that's how my mother's friend learned that she has a haunted quadruple murder-suicide scene in her basement. She moved out a year later. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't know that I would like like i'll take it <laughs> you know if it's like what's this store lead to oh i don't have a key to that it's fine it's it's a little more than a root cellar don't worry about it i'd be like no let's go see it 
I'm not just going to buy a house with a locked door and not go see what's behind that locked door. Like, come on. We'll find a way to get that door open. But I would definitely see it before buying the house. I digress. This next one is called The Dying Patient. A good friend of mine, while doing his round as a young intern, he is now a neurosurgeon. He had just looked in on a dying patient. After making the patient comfortable, he exited the room, sat on a nearby chair to write his report. After a few minutes, he looked up and saw the patient walking down the hallway. He called to the woman, but there was no response. As he stood up to walk after her, she disappeared. He quickly walked th towards the patient's room and saw a light under the door. When he opened the door, it was completely dark in the room, so he turned on the nightlight, went over to the patient, and felt for her pulse. She had died. He swears to this experience. That would be freaky for sure. All right, let's see. What I saw on the country road. While in university, I loved finding snakes. I was a biology student. So a friend from herpetology club showed me this road that he would cruise for snakes. Cruising is when you drive slowly down old back roads after dark looking for snakes that have slithered onto the warmer road to heat up. The road we took was about four miles and had around four houses on it entirely. He had taken a few laps on this road and we were making our final pass. There were two roads, or there were two houses near the beginning of the road, one at the end and one near the middle. We were getting close to the center house when we see movement on the left side of the road. There are a lot of animals, obviously, on this road, so we weren't surprised to see this. However, what shoots out is this kid, probably around eight or nine, in torn blue jeans and a ripped dark t-shirt. He takes one look at us, and his face is a, mirror of, is a mix of fear and pain. He looked back really quickly from where he had come out of and then booked it across the road. The guy I'm with gets out of the car, chasing to see if he's alright. I pull the car up to the point where the boy went into the woods. I'm starting to get out of the car when my friend quickly walks back from the trail. And just says, let's go now. Let's go now. We hop in the car and tear out of there. He says there is a graveyard about 10 yards into the woods. And there are five gravestones with the same death date. They all have the same last name. One was a boy who was nine. We never came back there the rest of the summer to that road. We usually would go out once or twice a week. The next year when my friends had graduated, I took my girlfriend out to the road. She had gone early to try and find different types of snakes. Different snakes tend to move at different points of dusk and at night. We got to the house near the graveyard and there's three men doing some yard work. I rolled down the window and explained what I was doing and asked them about the graveyard. Apparently their dad's brother's family had all died when their space heater caught fire about 20 years ago. I kept pushing and asked about it and they told me the firemen or whoever does it found all the bodies in the rubble except the youngest son who they assumed was too far burned. I asked if they had a little brother 
and the 6'4", 250-pound man said he was the youngest. When I gave the description of the kid I saw, they all went white. They all have individually seen the kid I was talking about and have always run to the gravesite, and he always runs to the gravesite. I've never been down that road again. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. All right, let's see. How are we doing on time? All right. Doing pretty good. All right. So that'll be our last story. I do want to thank everybody that's invited your spooky friends to the Facebook page. I think we're standing at 148 members now, so lots of thanks to you guys. If you guys have spooky stories, make sure you send them to me so that I can vet them for the next podcast. Um, feel free to post them on the page itself, Paranormal Stories, Spooky Shiz is in parentheses, on Facebook. Um, feel free to join that. Feel free to invite your friends that are into spooky stuff. If they're not into spooky stuff, you know, you can invite them. They're just not going to accept it. <laughs> but feel free if you come across any spooky memes. I'm always a fan of the spooky memes. Post them as you will. And then if you have any spooky stories, you know, if you're loud and proud about it, go ahead and post it on the page. If you want to stay anonymous, even within our own, you know, spooky family, uh, just send me the message, the admin, Andrew Chapman, um, and I will post it for you uh, without your name. All right. Well, it's been another exciting, spooky episode that I've thoroughly enjoyed exploring with you guys. Um, I will try to do another one before the week is out. Um, to make up for the holiday lag. And alright guys. I will talk to you all next time. And remember. Stay spooky. Bye guys. <laughs>